we are uh, pushing the frontiers of particle physics possibly to to understand really the deepest secret of the universe hello and welcome to the the connect podcast this episode is produced in partnership with the university of liverpool i'm your host ashton wenborn I'm joined today by three leading researchers in the field of particle physics at the University of Liverpool, who I will let introduce themselves. Hello, my name is Joost Vassenveld. I'm a particle physics researcher uh, within the University of Liverpool. Uh, as part of my research work, I work on muon experiments and on searches for dark matter. I also work on the development of technology for particle physics detectors, and I'm currently also head of the particle physics group here in Liverpool. Hi, I'm Eva Vilella, and I am a research fellow at the Department of Physics. Um, and um, my research uh, is about developing uh, new silicon sensors uh, for future physics experiments. Hello, my name is Graziano Venanzoni. I'm a Leverhul International Professor at the University of Liverpool, and my main interest is within the muon physics. And currently, I'm one of the to spokesperson of the Muon G-2 experiment at Fermilab. Thank you very much for introducing yourselves and for joining us today. We'll be speaking about how your work at the University of Liverpool is pushing the frontiers of particle physics globally, whether by participating in international research partnerships, contributing to groundbreaking discoveries, or training the next generation of particle physicists, you're each addressing some of the most pressing questions facing the field. Supporting this work is the University of Liverpool, which is involved in global collaborations at major physics labs, such as the CERN Laboratory near Geneva in Switzerland, and Fermilab in Illinois in the US, as well as the UK's Cockcroft Institute and the Science and Technology Facilities Council. So I'd like to start our discussion today by talking about global research partnerships. Why is it important for universities to encourage researchers to participate in these sorts of cross-border and cross-disciplinary projects? And what has your experience of these projects been? Joost, I know that you're quite heavily involved in these sorts of projects that I've mentioned, so maybe you can start us off today. One of the things we aim to address in particle physics is that we aim to answer a number of the most fundamental questions in nature on the nature of the smallest particles and forces that act between these particles. Um, and over the years, we've answered some of those. We've not managed to answer some of them yet. And, and of course, new questions have been raised. With this research having taken place for a number of years, it becomes ever more challenging to make the, the very precise measurements in order to make further progress in this field. And because of that, we work in, in ever larger collaborations. And, and today, you know, this has really become a global endeavor where we pool efforts and resources from around the world to address these questions. For an institute like ours to make an impact within such an international field, we cannot do this on our own. So we work very closely with many university research groups, but also with national labs across the world. And this includes well-known labs such as the CERN Laboratory in Geneva, uh, Fermilab in the US or the KDK lab in Japan, but also many other international and also UK national UK laboratories. A way in which we contribute to, to the global effort and, and a way in which we manage to make an impact to this, this large international program is through having a quite unique expertise here in Liverpool and also a, a very strong infrastructure 
in particular for the design and construction of detector systems, which are needed for, for making ever more precise measurements, which we need to do to progress the fields further. And we have in Liverpool built instruments that, that currently sort of sit within experiments, both at CERN and in other labs across the world. Thank you very much. And Graziano, I know in your introduction you mentioned that you're involved in the work going on at Fermilab, the Muon G-2 collaboration. It's quite a complicated experiment, so can you give us some background to it? Sure. So let me start by saying that our experiment has to do with the muons. So we should know what the muon is. And the muons are elementary particles. Elementary particle means that they cannot be... Uh, subsequently divided into more elementary constituents, okay, are the elementary units. And the muons are identical, uh, almost identical to electrons, but are more massive. We are uh, surrounded by muons because muons are the main component of the cosmic rays. Uh, cosmic ray rays are a charged particle which arrives from uh, the outer space uh, constantly and they hit the Earth. But muons can be also produced in uh, accelerators like the ones that we have at Fermilab or at CERN in the major laboratories. What makes uh, a characteristic the muon is that uh, it quickly disintegrates in uh, really millions of seconds, 2.2 million seconds, and it disintegrates into electrons and neutrino. And uh, this makes uh, make the different respect to the ordinary matter, like electron or a proton and nu- neutron, which are within the nuclei. So in a way, we call the muon like solitary creatures because they, you know, they sleep into non-existence in a fraction of instant after they are made. And what does the experiment actually involve? We are we, we do the muon G minus two experiment in order to understand the intrinsic nature of the muons. So what is the muon G minus two experiment? So the muon G minus two experiment is an experiment which, at its core, it involves trapping muons. We trap muons in a storage ring, which is essentially a very uniform and powerful magnetic field. Okay. Now, when muons are within a magnetic field, they behave like spinning tops. And uh, there is a quantity which is called G factor, which characterizes how much or how fast it spins. So what essentially we do in our experiment is that we measure very precisely this G factor. Let me say that from the theoretical point of view, at the simplest level, the theory predicts that G is equal to 2. And this was one of the great predictions of the famous British scientist Paul Dirac, which is one of the fathers of the quantum mechanics. Okay, now, Is G equal to? No, G is not equal to. G is slightly different from 2 at the level of uh, uh, 0.1% or 0.2%, okay? And why G is different from 2? And this is is really the characteristics of of the mu and G minus 2 experiment. Well, the reason is that uh, it it is known since, let me say, mid of uh, the last century, that the elementary particle must not seen as rigid marble dots but uh, they should be seen like uh, strange beehive-like, which are swarm of activity. So in a way, elementary particles like muons are surrounded by cloud or other particles, which we call virtual particles, because this other particle lives for a very short time. 
much shorter than the lifetime of the muons. And uh, this nimbus of the particle which uh, pop in and out of the existence, uh, which surround the muons, influence the way in which the muon behave in magnetic field, and they change the G factor. Indeed, this is the reason why G is different from 2. It's slightly different from 2. So in a way, in G-2 experiment, we measure very, very precisely the effect of this cloud of virtual particle on the muon spin. Okay? And by measuring very precisely, we get information on every particle in this cloud. So see, the particle that we know, like electron, muons, proton, neutron, but also the particle which we believe or we think they exist, but we, we have not yet discovered it. And this particle probably exists, a different particle we don't know yet, but they may be constituent of the universe. For example, they can explain or they, they are the constituent of the dark matter, something that we, we, we believe it exists in the universe, but we are not a, a clear explanation for that. And so by doing this experiment, and measuring very precisely this uh, cloud of virtual particle, we can answer two fundamental questions, like which is the constituent of the universe, how the universe was born, how the universe will, will, uh, will end. So why is precision so important to this work? Why, I mean, the mu and g minus two, in a way, uh, a, a, is known because it's a very precise experiment. Well, the reason is the following, is that you are able to pick up this particle of the cloud which surround the, the, the muons only if you achieve an incredible precision. And this is what we did. We talk about a precision called the part per billion. So what does it mean? This means that we measure this G minus two, so the effect of the a virtual particle on the behavior of the spin of the muons, or let me say the, the motion of the muons in the magnetic field, with a precision which is comparable to measuring the size of the soccer field, which is something like 100 meters, with an uncertainty smaller than the width of the human hair, which is, uh, uh, I don't know, tens of microns. So you can imagine that this is, is uh, the precision that we, the muon gymnast to experiment uh, achieve on the on the g minus two and ava looking at your research can you tell us about your work developing silicon sensors for fundamental physics experiments yost also mentioned that liverpool has a unique infrastructure that supports the work you're doing so what has your experience been of this unique support system yeah um so my research here at liverpool consists uh, particularly in, in developing high-voltage uh, CMOS sensors for future physics experiments. And in relation to that, I want to say that uh, an essential part of, of physics experiments is, is particle tracking, which essentially consists in, in measuring the, the trajectories of the particles as these interact with, with the sensors in, in the experiment. Um, but developing these, these sensors technologies for measuring the particles in, in physics experiments is very, very challenging. Uh, we need to keep in mind that uh, in an experiment, uh, there are billions of collisions that produce uh, hundreds of billions of, of particles per, per second, and these particles need to be measured. Um, so to, to simplify this problem, um, physicists need 
very fast and, and thin sensors that can measure very accurately the hit points uh, along the trajectories of, of these particles. Um, but physics experiments require ever more precise and, and fast detectors to, to be successful. And also radiation tolerance is, is very critical as detectors have to survive many years of operation because um, detectors suffer with, with radiation damage and we want, we want the detectors to survive as many years of operation as possible. Um, high voltage CMOS, which is the, techno the technology that I'm, I'm developing, um, which is a, a variation of, of a standard CMOS. And uh, we uh, find both these technologies in, in the electronic devices that uh, we use in our everyday life, such as small smartphones and, and computers. Uh, the very nice thing about them is that they can also be used as sensors for, for physics experiments. Um, and they, they provide solutions to these problems that I have mentioned before, and also advantages over uh, traditional silicon sensors. Uh, high voltage CMOS sensors in, integrate uh, the, the sensing cell and very much advanced without electronics uh, in a single layer of silicon uh, that is as thin as, as a human hair. Um, they also provide uh, excellent position resolution as the, this sensing cell with the, the readout electronics uh, can be uh, embedded in just a few square microns uh, area. Also, the, the timing capability is, is very good. It's just a few nanoseconds, and we are currently trying to, to get them below the one nanosecond. And they provide also excellent radiation tolerance, and they are also very affordable. Um, so because of all these uh, advantages, uh, high-voltage CMOS sensors are, are currently emerging as, as the prime candidate for many uh, future physics experiments, and some of them have selected this, this sensor technology already. And, and my work precisely consists um, in further developing, um, boosting the performance of high-voltage CMOS sensors to, to make the cells even smaller, uh, to make the sensors faster, and also to improve even further the, the radiation tolerance. And at the same time, uh, to uh, deploy them uh, in, in these future uh, experiments in physics. And Joost, could you tell us about the support systems that are in place for researchers that are looking to collaborate across different disciplines and borders, from early researchers to someone who's far into their career? So we, we take it as a very important part of our activities. And in order to make a big impact on research, we, we, know, we are aware that we need to develop our staff at all levels, really, starting from, from training students, training apprentices, but also coaching uh, researchers through, through their career, from, from early career to, to becoming more senior researchers. I think a key in that is the environment we offer. So we, we are a large particle physics group. We are involved in a lot of different experiments. And perhaps relatively uniquely, we are in many of these experiments, we are involved from the very early stage, so the early conception of sort of a next generation of experiments to the technology development, through uh, the actual design of the, of the detector systems and the construction, and then finally, the installation, operation, and exploitation, getting the physics results out of these experiments. So that offers staff within our group a lot of opportunities to, to join the projects they're interested in because they, they essentially are in an environment where you know, the technicians, the engineers that they might need to, to be able to carve out a place for them within these, within these areas are available. Um, 
and of course, having a lot of expertise in all these areas, you know, we, we, we talk to each other all the time and people learn an awful lot from the expertise that's there. We, we work very much, even though many of us work on different experiments, we very much work as, as, a, as a large group all towards the same purpose, which is in order for all of our experiments to, to progress well. You mentioned that while research infrastructure is hugely important, expertise and human knowledge are essential to producing groundbreaking research. And so, Graziano, I know that in 2022, you moved from the National Institute for Nuclear Physics in Pisa to join the University of Liverpool. So I wondered what attracted you to Liverpool? The reason why I moved to Liverpool is that really Liverpool is a, a perfect environment to perform my research. Uh, Liverpool is a world-leading, uh, I mean, there is a world-leading expertise uh, in detector construction and also technology for particle physics experiment. And the detail was given also um, before uh, by Eva. And uh, our research is also very close connected with the, the University of Liverpool Department of Mathematical Science, which hosts world expert in the theoretical uh, prediction of the effect uh, of all these particles uh, uh, which surround uh, you know, the, the muon uh, when I was talking about the muon gymnos to experiment. Let me also mention that uh, uh, my Leverhulme International uh, Research Professorship, uh, together of course with my colleagues, uh, gave us uh, and uh, personally gave me a, really a unique opportunity to develop one of the most advanced programs of muon physics in the world. And this really happens once in a lifetime. So I was really very glad and pleased, thankful also to Leverhulme and to the University of Liverpool for providing me this opportunity. So I think that this research is really relevant and we are pushing the frontiers of particle physics, both in technology, advancing the fundamental knowledge in experiment, experiment in the theory, and at the end, really, uh, possibly to, to understand really the deepest secret of the universe. I think something that attests to just how much of an impact Liverpool is having in the field of particle physics is when this work filters out to the general public. Particle physics might not be the most accessible subject, but there have been some discoveries, like the Higgs boson particle, that most people do have some understanding of. So what other major research discoveries has Liverpool been involved in and how does it feel when your work makes it into the mainstream? First, maybe to say that in, in particle physics, of, of course, progress is made through major discoveries, but major discoveries are relatively rare, of course, because it's such a large field and we, we've pushed a lot of areas already to, to a very high level, which means that making new discoveries is always challenging, but they do happen from time to time. We also make a lot of our progress through ever, making ever more precise measurements and more sensitive measurements, which allow us to actually exclude a lot of hypotheses when it comes to you know, new, new types of particles that might have been proposed, new forces, new effects. And of course, we can exclude some of these by, by making very precise measurements and, and say that they're not, our data are not consistent with such hypotheses. So there aren't really low-hanging fruits in terms of making new discoveries. And, and as Generally, in our field, these are only ever achieved through through collaboration with large international collaborations where we pool efforts and we pool our resources. For us as a research group to 
nevertheless make an impact and to aim to be involved in some of the major discoveries, it's key that we choose the right areas to work. And, and after we've done this, to also make sure that in those areas, we develop very sensitive experiments that can be very competitive with other experiments and, and make excellent measurements. So to give you as an example, maybe the story of our involvement in the discovery of the Higgs boson. So we had actually started long before the startup of the Large Hadron Collider to work on, uh, first of all, the design of the detectors and trying to optimize these detectors to make them as sensitive as possible to, to the effect that this Higgs boson has on the data that we were going to observe. We then built these detectors. We came at some point to CERN. We installed them. We commissioned and calibrated them. And then ultimately, when the Large Hadron Collider started, we worked on the data analysis in, in the early days to search for evidence of this Higgs boson, which actually at that point had eluded us for about 50 years since, since the particle had been predicted. So finally, in 2012, we were extremely privileged to to be there at that time, you know, right in the middle of all the excitement, when the two experiments finally got to the point where they were able to announce that they had discovered this particle. And this was for all of us a very, an extremely exciting period. But it's also not the end of the story. We, st we still continue to work on the Higgs boson. We study the Higgs boson at the Large Hadron Collider. We ha have done that since continuously since 2012. We've measured many different processes. And the purpose of that is, of course, to, to pin down and measure in great detail all the properties of this, of this particle, how it behaves, how it interacts with other particles, which is also to test that it really is, in all aspects, the particle that was predicted many years ago by Peter Hicks and others. There are other examples. Um, I can talk about the discovery of the, of the mass of the neutrino, which was a very important discovery for the field, which results in something which, which, which we call neutrino oscillations. The Nobel Prize that was awarded for this discovery in 2015 went to representatives of two major experiments, uh, one in Canada and one in, in Japan, which were the experiments that made the key measurements that actually demonstrated this, this existence of a mass of neutrinos. And again, several researchers from Liverpool, but actually also engineers and technicians had been long before these discoveries involved in, in designing and building these experiments and subsequently in the measurements that were performed at these experiments. And since the discovery, again, we, con we have continued to, to work in this area to make ever more precise measurements, to pin down these neutrino oscillations in more detail, which helps us actually answer further questions, which in a way were raised by the discovery of the mass of the neutrino about further properties of these particles. Thank you, that's a great overview. And it's amazing to hear about all of the successes of the past, as well as what the three of you are working on at the moment. So I'd like to take some time to now talk about the next generation and what's to come. Training up future Nobel Prize winners is a hugely important part of the work that you're doing. And we've touched on the fellowships and early career support that is available at Liverpool. Ava, I know that you are a UKRI Future Leader Fellow. So can you tell us about your experience of that fellowship, but also how these sorts of programmes give researchers the freedom and long-term support to pursue adventurous new ideas? Yeah, so I, like you said, I, I currently hold a, a Future Leaders Fellowship, and, and this is a, a very prestigious fellowship that provides uh, substantial funding for a long term, for, for up to, to seven years. And this, is, um, th this fellowship has provided or is, is providing me the, the freedom 
uh, to develop my my own uh, research and, and development ideas, which are around developing uh, high voltage in silicon sensors, like I, I explained before. The fellowship, apart from from allowing me to seek my uh, research independence and and to establish my, myself uh, as a researcher, it, it has also allowed me to to form and train my my own R&D team to work together on on my uh, own um, R&D ideas. And this is something that I would not have been able to to do without the the support of of this fellowship. So with the fellowship and with my team, we we have been able to to further develop, uh, in my case, to further develop these these, uh, high-voltage CMOS sensors, to go much beyond, to go much further than what I would have been able to do on, on my own. Thank you. And broadening out, Ava, from your specific experience of that fellowship, Joost, having more of an overview of the department as a whole, are there any other programmes that are available at Liverpool to support and train that next generation of particle physicists? Yes, absolutely. I think one of the aims of the University of Liverpool currently is to, well, essentially is to continue on the path of, of hosting leading research, which has really a global impact. And for that, we need to bring leading international talent into the university. And so we aim to be the university to be really a destination of choice for people internationally to come here. And the way in which we do this on the one hand, and this we've done since many years, we we actively try to seek and attract people to to apply for different fellowship schemes which, which exist. And actually, in particular, also the reason why last year we introduced a dedicated Liverpool scheme, which is the Liverpool University Research Fellowships. For this new scheme, applicants can apply from across all research fields for a position, uh, which is a five-year position. If they are successful, this gives them the opportunity to develop their own research program. And of course, they benefit from being embedded in existing research groups within the university where there is already leading research and, and leading infrastructure that can also benefit their work. And these fellowships are also intended to lead into permanent academic appointments. It's great to hear about the new University of Liverpool Research Fellowships. And any interested listeners can find out more by searching for University of Liverpool Research Fellowships online. And that does bring us to the end of our conversation today. So thank you, Joost, Ava and Graziano for speaking with me and sharing the exciting developments taking place in Liverpool's physics department. For more insights from this conversation and more, you can visit the Times Higher Education and University of Liverpool hub at timeshighereducation.com forward slash content forward slash university dash Liverpool. Subscribe to the THE Connect podcast to receive the latest episodes as soon as they're released.